This is the Restaurant Technology Guys podcast, helping you run your restaurant better. Welcome back to the Restaurant Technology Guys podcast. I uh, appreciate those listeners out there, as always. Um, it's so great to have you guys out on the airwaves. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, somebody that I've known in and around the industry for a while. We are joined by Mr. Phil Crawford. Phil, why don't you say hi to our audience and tell everybody a little bit about who you are. It's great to be here. As always, Jeremy, it's good to see you and obviously hear you at the same time in our post-COVID net world. Uh, you're right. I head up the technology over at CK Restaurants, the parent company to Carl's and Hardy's, uh, 3,000 domestic restaurants, under 1,000 international and growing. Have an amazing history for both brands. Carl's is in over 80 years and Hardy's over 60. So a lot of good tenure, a lot of good, great, and a lot of good people, a lot of great products and overall just a, a great company to be with. Awesome. And awesome. Well, and from your perspective, I guess, for those that aren't familiar who you are, Phil, and I know you don't love talking about yourself, but uh, you've, <laughs> you've had a, a I mean, well, and I, I want people to understand that you've, you've been a lot of different places and done a lot of really cool stuff yeah. with tech before we dig into kind of what you've been up to most lately at, at CKE and, you know, yours and my paths have run into each other quite a bit in different shows and different places that you've been at. So why don't you give a, a, a quick history of kind of, kind of where you've been at maybe the last 10 years or so, because uh, again, I think it's going to give some context to the what and the why uh, as to how you're really, I guess, changing the way CKE is going to the market. Yeah, look, I, I've been in this industry for a long time. It's kind of in my blood, as you can say now. And I've been blessed to work with some amazing companies um, out of Southern California, you know, with, with the Yard House restaurants before it was acquired by Darden. Uh, that was an amazing stat and stood up all the different amazing technologies there from the audiovisual to the beer systems to, you know, latest and greatest point of sale systems and the list goes on and on and on obviously even with you which is yep. kind of fun yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely yeah i was, I was, I was telling somebody that story we uh, phil and i have done business together with the, <laughs> with some recipe management stuff that we did at cbs so pretty cool exactly uh then after that moved on to uh, a small little burger thing out in new york called shake shack and that was uh an amazing run while there four years there and helped take the company public and build a lot of the technology stack that's still in play today from mobile ordering to you know store-based systems to above store to above store cloud systems and again the list goes on and on as well and then last you know uh, after that was a couple of years in Godiva so I kind of left the industry um, got the worldwide tour as they say as, as as a lot of folks call me the Loompa Oompa now that I came back so that was actually fun it was an amazing concept you know to take that and understand what they can do worldwide especially from a supply chain and logistics standpoint. And then, you know, finally, I landed back at CKE because I guess kind of missed the industry, right? I missed all my peers and friends, and I missed food and beverage and what it, the, the hospitality industry is all about. And so with all these different scents I've had, I've been, you know, fortunate enough to work with some amazing people outside of the amazing brand that really kind of help us showcase the different technology needs. And I've always been an innovator, never been a guy that just wants to run a nine-to-five desk. So that really have allowed me to kind of experiment and in and take different technology risks where a lot of companies wouldn't. And I think in the long run, it's actually paid off. So um, it's actually helped me in my foster my career, my own personal growth as well. But, you know, more importantly, it's just kind of kept me grounded of who I am and keep close to the people I really aspire to, you know, hang out with. I love it. I love it. And uh, you did some pretty cool stuff, definitely in New York. I, I wasn't as familiar when you were at Godiva, but uh, yeah. intimately familiar with what you were doing at Yard House because we were working together and then, uh, yeah. you know, a little bit and then... Uh, I uh, I was I was admiring from afar, and I know we we've, we've caught up at different trade shows. Some cool stuff there. Well, for those that aren't familiar, because you guys aren't in all fifty states, and we do have some international listeners, what is 
Carl's and Hardy's. Talk to me a little bit about those. They've got a very storied history and and really kind of let's talk about the 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 evolution revolution that uh, that that they've been through over the last few years because they've they've joined forces and you know they've got a little bit distinct personalities but they're they're coming together and and then we'll talk about kind of what what you've been doing on the tech side with both uh, both brands. Sure. So we're in 37 uh, states here, you know, and obviously if you kind of take right up the west of the Mississippi is Carl's and to the right of the Mississippi is Hardy's. Hardy's and Carl's joined forces probably about five to seven years ago, consolidated offices, moved out of Anaheim and Carpinteria and out of, you know, St. Louis and landed in here in Nashville. And in doing so, they really kind of created a unified brand. So a lot of the similar products are on both palettes, but really Carl's Jr. is a lunch and dinner burger joint in essence. Mm-hmm. And Hardy's is more about your biscuits and breakfast, but we have burgers there as well. And there's some really cult followings. Again, as I alluded to when we first started talking, I mean, Carl's has 80 plus years history yep. in the, in Southern California and beyond. And then Hardy's has 60 plus years. So, you know, it, it's generational franchisees, which are great partners. It's generational folks inside of our own four walls that work for corporate. And the nostalgia of the brand has been around and it continues to grow and foster. And especially with the advent of technology, the company itself has had to pivot and shift, right? We've had to learn to adapt like so many other companies through COVID um, and really become, you know, a relevant restaurant QSR where in the past we may not have been. And both brands have been really accepting to that, realizing that you can't live on your laurels. You're just great. You've been around for so long, but, you know, people and brands need to, need to evolve and reinvent themselves in a variety of ways. So this was an amazing opportunity for a lot of us. Uh, senior senior leadership around the around the horn came together and really kind of drove product innovation and, re- and store redesign innovation, but also technology foundation. Yeah, I, I love it. And you you're going on what year and a half, maybe two years there. You've been you've been there. I mean, you haven't been there quite two years, right? No, I am eighteen months. I'm still okay. believe it or not, in that overall of eighty years, I'm still I'm still a newbie, you're, <laughs> which you're still, is fun. You're still a pup. Well. Yes. So- so talk to me, what what did you walk into? You know, you talked about kind of what you inherited when you got there. Um, I mean, I know because I, you know, recently moved from Southern California for those that that know and longtime listeners. But for those that aren't familiar, I was I'm I'm a regular at Carl's and and but historically it has not been a very tech forward brand. They're, you know, being able to do online ordering, being able to do third party delivery, being able to do, you know, even some of the innovations of of um, order confirmation boards. Most of the stores didn't have even stuff like that in the drive-through scenarios, not, not digital menu boards. I mean, I, I would go to Carl's on a regular basis. There's a lot that we talk about on the podcast. And, and I'm guessing when you got there, based on my own guest experience, just as a pure guest, not as a technologist, there wasn't a whole lot of that. And so why don't you talk about what you inherited 18, 24 months ago, and then kind of kind of what your top priorities were as you sat and looked at the strategy for the brand. And then we can talk specifics about the, the first few things you implemented over there. Yeah, look, I think a thing they inherited is we're kind of obsolescence, right? The brands themselves, again, kind of stuck in the laurels and didn't kind of need to evolve. And they always, everybody talks about digital transformation. Well, you've either transformed or you're not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's everything was legacy you can possibly imagine. Again, a lot of that is also because of the culture and also because of the nostalgic of the brands. They've been around and they've kind of had institutionalized is the best way to say it. Yep. So so coming in there, we kind of needed to throw out the bad and create the new. And, that, and that, anything from infrastructure, it was anything from, you know, cloud-based systems, you know, new cloud infrastructure with regard to AWS or GPC or Snowflake, but also more foundational store-based systems, network, point of sale, um, obviously, mobile order and pay, digital menu boards. So, really, the the idea was coming in, coming in and out of COVID, they needed to have a unique opportunity to, to to redefine themselves as a brand, both brands, I should say. Yep. 
And to do so, we had to take some strategic risks of what the brands could do, but also the franchisees would, would adapt. It's been on this strategic roadmap for a long time there, right? It's been on there. We need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. I think it just finally took the catalyst of the pandemic, but it also took the getting the right band together, quite frankly, getting the right leadership together, getting the right drive together, but also really getting the franchisees behind us, as well as corporate to put our money where our mouth is. We're going to do this. We're going to do it first for our corporate restaurants. And we're going to prove it out and nobody else can get on board and move forward. And also, if you look at the competitive set in the QSR industry, we've been behind, mm-hmm. you know, and in doing so actually kind of gave us a little bit of an advantage. We could find out what other brands have done right, but also what they've done wrong and not repeat the history, but also make it unique for our both individual concepts. We don't alienate our guests that have been loyal to us for so many years. I love that. And and I say it often on the podcast when people will say, well, should I implement this? And it's like, well, it depends. Like mm-hmm. the answer is always it depends. And, and you, you know, you haven't been a consultant at different points in your life. It's like, it depends. It depends on what you want your brand to look like. It depends on what you want your brand to do. And it, what is, you know, it's not a one size fits all. It's, it's truly a, it depends on what it is that the brand is looking to do, what their benefit statements are, why are they looking to do it? Technology for technology's sake is not needed. It's technology to solve true business problems and or take you to a new level. Yeah, I, it, it's funny you say that because I think a lot of folks had this vision to be the next Chick-fil-A from a technology standpoint, right? Or, you know, my predecessor, Shake Shack or Sweet Green, any of the different concept they want to go, or be Chipotle might be the best example out of all. But sometimes you just need to keep it simple, stupid, mm-hmm. right? And go with core foundational stuff that you can make a, a big dynamic impact on. But you got to build the foundation of a house. I always use this analogy all the time. Like, I'm not going to go buy a million-dollar roof and not have a strong foundation to support it. Yep. So let's do that first. And now we can get into the later stages once we get the foundation built. I mean, we're playing with AI. We're playing with machine learning. Stuff we never could have done unless we did the core basics. Yep. And sometimes it's okay to get grounded in the basics and just restart. And that's what we had to do because we couldn't get to the far right unless you can start in the far left. It's the crawl, walk, run approach. I love that. And and one of the things that I heard you say as you were going through kind of your guys' technological um, changes over the last uh, couple of years or last 18 months as you've been there is you 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 understood where the brand was at and you understood where it was going to go. And then you, you got buy-in. You got buy-in from your corporate leadership. You got buy-in from even the franchisees with a plan that you said, we're going we're gonna to eat our own dog food. We're going to try this first. We're not going to throw... And all too often, I see franchise groups, they'll say, oh, you're a brand new store as a franchise. Corporate hasn't opened up a store in five years. We're going to throw this new tech out at you and make it your problem. Mm-hmm. And they end up biting... You know, It ends up biting them in the backside because they just don't end up... Talk to me a little bit about that, that sale process. Because ultimately, you have four or five different constituencies that you've got to sell to. You've got to sell to your enterprise. You know, you got to sell to your finance group, your marketing group, you know, all your executives in your own organization. And then you still have to go sell the franchisees because they're ultimately the ones that need to pay for it and implement it on the non-corporate stores long-term. And if you can only get it at corporate, and I know McDonald's ran into some of those problems yeah. and there was some, you know, some press around that where they were like, we're going really hard at kiosk. And then the franchisee said, screw you, that, that's going to cost too much. And no matter how good the technology was, it didn't matter if the franchisees weren't going to buy off on it. So talk to me a little bit about that sale process before we dig into kind of some of the hardcore tech that you guys have put in. Sure. I, I think the number one thing is having a line with my peers at leadership. Like we all have to be holding hands and going in the right direction and singing Kumbaya. If mm-hmm. one of us is not, we don't have alignment. Yep. So that was the first step. I think also the second step is both brands knew they had to do something they just didn't have the right architect or leader to lead them across that finish line. And what I had done here is not rocket science. Right? There's mm-hmm. plenty of case studies to, to find the right technologies moving together. 
But I think the number one thing, as you kind of alluded to it a second ago, is we needed to go in, improve an ROI, putting it in our own corporate restaurant and show that there's a consumer demand for it, yep. but also that the industry itself has pivoted so rapidly. Either you adapt or you die. Yep. And people were riding the coattails of COVID. How long is this going to run? QSR is amazing doing business, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, it's going to end at some mm-hmm. time. And we have a unique opportunity right now to capture our, our, our sales, quite frankly, but also convert our consumers because the consumers themselves are evolving. They're evolving to like grandma and grandpa grabbing up an iPhone and using ordering, ordering through DoorDash and delivery. And they had kind of the pieces there. I think getting marketing involved and finance involved and all the different parts were to show this is really where the industry is going. Let's no longer just be a follower or not even, you know, being in the game. Let's get to the game and let's show what we can do on our own accord, again, by not changing the brand standards and so forth. The franchisees themselves, a lot of our franchisees are extremely smart. Yep. They have other concepts, Wingstops, Arby's, that have already these entire digital ecosystems. So they see the benefit. I think they just needed to show the plan, the architecture, the partnerships we created. But more importantly, we had to put our na- where money where our mouth is and saying, if we're going to do this by date X and it costs Y, we need to hit those dates and stick to our costs. Because yeah. if we don't, we lose credibility. And I think the company in the past, the leadership, probably had a lack of credibility because it was, to your point, you go do it. Tell me how the, re- the results are. You take all the risk. I get all the reward. Yep. We flipped it on its head and said, no, we're going to do both. But if we prove it out, you're going to go out, You're going to go on the, the war path with us, correct? And lo and behold, it wasn't easy at first. I'm not going to lie to you. So not everybody came in and tried to help me checks. Um, we proved it out. We had some of our great franchisee partners, some of the biggest ones around the nation, really adapt to technology because they had the vision as well. And then it just snowballed. And it snowballed in such a positive manner that, you know, we've now rolled it out to over 2,600 restaurants nationwide in an incredible quick fashion and pace. Um, Loyalty and app and we're working other new new technologies to get us more relevant because that's where our consumers demand. I love it. I love it. And and I think, I mean, we talk about it often also on the podcast is, is why does technology lag behind, you know, restaurant technology specifically. And I think a lot of times it's because people have been burnt. They've been mm-hmm. promised all of this panacea of everything's going to work perfectly and you're not going to have any problems. And the truth is, is it often under delivers or people set the wrong expectations. And so I love that, that you started with, where are we trying to go? This is my vision for it. And you got people on board and then you were able to execute. The fact that you guys have gotten so much done in, in, in 18 months is, is incredible. Yeah, it's, it's a true testament to the team and hiring the right people and getting, again, the band together in the right direction and all singing the same tune. I also think that if you look at where the company itself is going to and where consumers are, like it's a unique opportunity in, in, in a technologist professional career where you can actually have these kind of broad stroke approaches that people adopt to. Yeah. But I think, I think from a leadership standpoint, it took all the leaders to say, look, we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. We're going we're gonna to own our wins and we're going to own our losses, right? And we're going to do this together as a partnership. And I think that was probably the most monumental thing that they have never heard before. It was always, you know, barking down orders from the glass castles. I have, just have a different tact. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to get my hands dirty and I'm going to go with you with it and all the way through the end. And at the end, we'll, 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 we'll raise champagne glasses when it's all done. Not the opposite. That's that's awesome. I love that idea. So um, you've thrown out a lot of different things that you've done. So why don't we start with kind of, you know, you had to build the infrastructure, I think, infrastructure, making sure that you've got the good tech in the store. Don't necessarily need to talk brand names, but something that's scalable, something that's cloud-based, something that, yeah. that gives you the ability to do those things. 
talk to me about kind of the, I don't say the layering on top, but it, but you didn't have web ordering. You didn't have third-party delivery integrated. You didn't have loyalty. You didn't have a yeah. lot of the things that I think are table stakes. So why don't we talk a little bit about where did you start first once you kind of knew that you had a stable infrastructure in the store and a technology that can run the store day in and day out for guests that are coming into the drive-thru and coming up to the counter. After you went there, talk to me a little bit about kind of kind of how did you evaluate your steps and what were the first things you took on, the second things, and and so on. Yeah, so I have to give a lot of credit to my team, right? I had a, I inherited a, a pretty amazing team that had already done a lot of the, the heavy lifting in advance. So Ryan Molenkoff, who's in charge of my network infrastructure, and his entire team was rolling this technology out starting years ago. You know, and it just got accelerated to the catalyst of change again back to the franchise adoption. You know, Melissa Alves was my, my director of restaurant technologies and was rolling out Parbrink and standardizing on Xpand. So there's a lot of great people doing a lot of great things you know, in motion. And Dave Collins on the corporate app side and Tom Marino on the support side. So we had some good core functional things going. It's how do you unite the clans? Right? Yeah. How do you unite all of them to go in sequence so things can be done first and foremost? So it was finishing off projects, number one, finishing off the POS standardization finishing off the network infrastructure standardization, finishing off the support layers, and then going into picking what does this widget look like? Uh-huh. like what key players do you work together with? Do you, do you host it yourself? Do you have somebody else do it? And really, it goes back to a model approach. We're a big enough chain that we have to have play with the big enough players. Yep. And, and that's not always the case for everybody. We needed to be with the, the best of breed from Punch from Loyalty, you know, Ola from Middleware, and then particle from CDP that need to integrate with our entire tech stack at the point of sale levels and then obviously in the cloud. And that over-encompassing architecture and those decision matrices really is what kicked off the foundational work that needed to be done to get everything up and running. And again, it was also stage-gated, right? We're going to do our own backyard, yep. and we're going to test, 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 and we're going to fail fast and learn faster. That old phrase we all repeat over and over again. And in doing so, it allowed us the flexibility to make those mistakes but also then rapidly deploy in partnership with the franchisees. So we had, again, those franchisees that worked with us as guinea pigs, for lack of a better term, and really took took the risk with us as well, which, is, again, is really important. Obviously, we took more risk because we wanted to make sure it worked. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and it was your own story, so you could, you could beat stores. them up if, it's, uh, if it was broken. You know, yeah. they, they, you could control the, control the messaging. You know, and then again, working with the marketing teams, Chad Crawford and, you know, Jason Seeley, and then my director of IT, um, Drive Digital, excuse me, Mike Schauder, and again, formulating that strategy and the plan of how do we want to tackle this monstrosity that is mobile order and pay, mm-hmm. integrated delivery, and then obviously loyalty. And, you know, I, as much as people don't like the delivery providers, look, they save the industry in so many ways. Yep. I think it becomes a true symbiotic relationship with them. And we sat down with them and we showed them our strategy. We sat down with Olo and showed them our strategy. We showed them the franchisees. I mean, it's continual conversation, but the only way you get this done is if you work together in partnership and collaborate. And that's really what really nailed this across the board, internal and external. Got ya. Got ya. So you threw out a whole bunch of names. And for those not familiar, so again, <laughs> I know what all of them are, um, but I'd, sure. love to, I'd love your help to educate. So yeah. you, you threw out Olo. Olo is a big publicly traded company now. You and I have both been working with the, their team for quite some time. I think you've had uh, previous stints with the team at Olo. But what did Olo do for the brand? Talk to me a little bit about that because um, I'd love to have people understand what they should expect. Olo, for those that aren't familiar, is an online ordering company that does a lot more than just online ordering. But why don't you talk about what Olo did for you guys, particularly as a brand and how it benefited you know the corporate stores, the franchisees, and, um, and whatnot. 
So, yeah, you're right. I had history with Olo back at Shake Shack. Right? Olo was the ecosystem that tied in the guest experience in at the point of sale and created a frictionless ordering solution. That's basically what, they, what, what it comes down to. And with us here, we you know we decided to take a couple of different components of Olo. Having two different point of sale systems, I had to have one central way to data manage all the ordering ecosystems. So if you go to a Carl's or a Hardy's, they might be owned by different franchisees that have different POS systems. From the guest standpoint, it has to look seamless. You can't flip it. You can't say, mm-hmm. oh, you got to go to this, you got to go to this environment first and so forth. Yeah, go download this app or go to this exactly. website. It's like, no, it doesn't, no, doesn't work, that, work way. that way. Exactly. So Olo came, Olo worked with us and they did some custom development for us for our drive through because we're a little bit different in how we operate the business, which was an amazing partnership. We, you know, we used them for obviously their, their native API. So we wrote our own, we built our own apps, okay. right? Through Hathaway, which is a development company out of, out of Santa Barbara. And we leveraged their API calls for everything to do Rails. Rails okay. and their ecosystem is to integrate DoorDash, Postmates, Uber, and Grubhub. Right. We also use Dispatch. We can do delivery through our own channels, through our own branded websites and branded apps. And then obviously the entire ecosystem for curbside pickup, drive-through pickup, in-store pickup. We're experimenting now with QR ordering inside their dining rooms as they open up. So they're really they're kind of the glue yep. that ties all the different desperate systems into one larger ecosystem where data can flow seamlessly between the consumer and us. And so orders can get injected and we can have full visibility as well as full transactional data going into our systems. I love that. I love that. And, and again, I'm going to re- reiterate some of what Phil said because again, he and I talk tech every day and some of these listeners will, will text me or tweet me and go, all right, he talked about this. I need to understand. So Polo's <laughs> well, got a couple of different products. They've got you know kind of their standard online ordering as well as an API. Phil says his team is using their API to be able to go go deploy the app, which is amazing. Then you've got their Rails product, which is the ability for you to take an order online and flow it through to one of the third-party delivery companies to be able to manage that and still get it into the store, but but manage DoorDash, Grubhub, and whoever the brand chooses to deal with. Then they've got their dispatch product, which can either dispatch it to one of those third-party delivery companies or can dispatch it to you know your own delivery drivers, as Phil talked about. And so it sounds like Olo is a real big part of your digital you know tech strategy as far as as far as what you're doing there. Um, and you said they're a great partner. Was that you know, was that just, hey, rinse and repeat what I know you've done for other people? You talked about, you know, you guys have been fortunate that some people have cut their teeth and, and made the mistakes that you guys were able to able to run it right on those coattails. Or was it really, hey, we've got a lot of unique stuff here at Carl's and Hardy's and we need to do some stuff a little bit differently. It actually was both. So okay. the history means one thing, right? Knowing Noah Glass and, and all the individuals over there that are, you know, been doing this for a while, but they also have the breadth of scope, right? We're 3,000 restaurants. I need an enterprise solution. There are other solutions that are out there that I'm sure probably would do an okay job, but they just don't have the big moniker brand that they've done in the past. And with our aggressive patterns, we couldn't take the risk. Mm-hmm. So going with this, a tried true solution that, again, my peers have used, other large QSRs have used, even fast casual full service restaurants have used. It almost is kind of like a no brainer. Yep. Right. When it comes down to it, it also goes down to a model, right? We also knew what our loyalty play was going to be, as well as our CDP, our customer data platform is going to be. So, who integrates with your nucleus and yeah. you build off the nucleus? So, if you take your diagram and you have all these systems and you got to connect the lines, as we say, to, to make it all work together, which one has the most lines you can connect into? Oh, yep. 
Yeah, no, and, and I, I, I another one of the, your contemporaries, the CIO, says all the time, CTO. He's like, you've got to figure out how to architect it. You don't want it plumbed with this little connection that that's like it's yeah. a one-way path. You got to make sure that you architect these things because if not, the guest experience ultimately suffers. And so I love the fact that you guys thought about that because at the end of the day, your whole story of you can't go to one app for ordering, you know, in this region, but in this region, you can't use the the app or the loyalty or the or whatever because it's not integrated. And and uh, I actually was just at a a. a com- uh, a brand that is converting point of sale, and uh-huh. I tried to do loyalty the other day, and they said, "I'm sorry, we can't do this until May 15th." And I'm like, "Are oh, you no. kidding me?" It was you know three weeks later, and I actually sent something to our CIO going, "Really?" And it was uh, you know, um, it was just I mean, it was bad though. At the end of the day, because you look at it, me as a guest, and I'm a restaurant guy, I went in and I knew that they had just changed point of sale. Um, I knew they just changed point of sale, and I and I. My wife's like, well, why can't I get my points? Why can't yeah. I redeem my five dollars off and and whatnot? And that guest experience puts a puts something in my mind that says they didn't architect it, they didn't do like you had done. And I'm not saying this to be like, oh, look at how great you and your team are, but that matters. That matters to the guest experience. I'm a restaurant technologist. If my mother-in-law had gone there, she'd have been like, screw these people. I wanted my free shake and I didn't get my free shake, you know, kind of thing. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a very true thing that you've got to make sure that you think about those things because your guest experience can suffer if you don't. Well, and, and again, you know, it, it comes back to you only have one chance to make an impression. Yep. And you only can, I can only can launch one time. Because if I really upset those people, they're not coming back. You're a great, you're a great case study right there by that whole experience. Yep. But also, you know, it's the old, it's the also the 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 debate that'll go on until the end of time: buy versus build. Yep. Right. We had a very strategic, quick, hit the ground running roadmap, and I don't have the luxury of time. So partnering with a company that's done it is helpful. But again, uh-huh. also the premise that we have one shot, one shot to launch this with 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 success. Again, everything's going to have an issue. Like mm-hmm. You're going to expect it going in. There's going to be problems. You, I can't go all of a sudden roll out one solution and go, whoops, sorry, world. I screwed up. Back the whole thing out and go right because the damage will be done. So yeah, you really have to make sure that those kind of alignments are in place before you pull the trigger per se. So why did you guys decide to build your own app then? You know, and, and again, you talked about you talked about buying, and I and I love yeah. that idea. Um, I love that idea and partnering with an Olo because they've got a lot built. You you partner with Punch, they they've got a lot of that loyalty stuff figured out, and you know the CDP pieces. I'd love to dig into both the the Punch and the CDP pieces here in a few minutes. But why did you guys decide to build your own app then? You know, if that's the case, and and yeah. I know that there was some thought that went into it, and I'd love to ha- hear your thinking because I know our audience will will take a lot from it. So Olo has a white label app called Serve. We looked at utilizing it. Yes, it would have been cheaper. But again, though, we also have to have the marketing side of this. I'm putting my marketing on for a second. It needs to be brand on. And being brand on, it has to be identifiable to our consumers. Mm-hmm. And so in doing so, we do business a little bit differently than a white label app might do. Yep. Right? So building our own through a partnership with Hathaway was the, was the least path of resistance because we could get all the different things we wanted to have done, leveraging the APIs through Olo but still be brand specific of who we are, the way our orders flow, the way our drive-through systems work, the way our guest interactions are, the way we do our burger builds. Yep. And some of the some of the native apps that are out there, um, the white-label native apps, just didn't have that functionality or flexibility to do so. I also think that as we had a longer-term plan of launching our loyalty programs, we wanted the flexibility to not be put in a box, in essence, and kind of do our own thing and have different offers and promotions. 
So we picked we picked the, the proper strategic partner on Hathaway to do so. And you know, they have claim to fame other brands as well. Yep. And it's it's worked out well so far. Yeah. And there, I mean there's very few that can can deal with uh, the scale that you guys have, and they're definitely one of them. They're definitely one of them. So Perfect. Well, let's dig a little bit, um, you know, dig a little bit into kind of why you guys decided to go with loyalty. There's been a lot of people that say, oh, you have to have loyalty. And then some brands that go, you know what, we don't need to have loyalty. Talk to me a little bit about what loyalty looks like at, at Carl's and Hardy's and why you guys decided to go down the loyalty path and where, where really the business benefits have been as it relates to loyalty. What have you guys seen in the short term and, and what are you guys expecting to see long term? Yeah. So, you know, previous life, there was no such thing as loyalty in my before this gig. Yep. Right. You had loyal brands because of look at Bitter Now or look at Shake Shack. There's ones that don't need it. Yep. Right? Look and, at Yard House for that matter. Look at Shake yeah, Factory. I mean, they you have, know, they, they, like you don't, you don't need, need it if you got if you got lines out the door, right? Exactly. Um, I think they'll come around. By the way, just my humble opinion because I agree. Cheesecake's already going. talking about it. So ironically, yeah, so, yeah. Is, so is Yard House. I mean, they're yep. doing the same things. Um, look, for us, loyalty was table stakes. Our competition's doing it as well. Mm-hmm. And if we don't offer a loyalty program, also our guests were demanding it, quite frankly. For the longest time, our guests were asking to be rewarded for their patronage. And we had to come up with a system to do so. Now, loyalty in its essence is not giving away product for free. I hate yeah. people that just say, sign up and get a free burger, and I'm going to give away the world. No, you're cannibalizing yourself. The idea, and Starbucks is like the master of this, and so is Chipotle and others when it comes to loyalty, is the idea for loyalty is you incentivize them to come back in your off-day parts or those individual parts of your business that might need to get the uptick. So case Mm -hmm. in point, we launched with getting double stars. Great. That's enticing you to come back to buy more. There's incentives to come back between a down day part, two and five, whatever we call it, and get, you know, triple points or get a dollar off a burger. There's different ways to do it with regards to loyalty to really benefit the consumer because it's all about transactions at that point. They feel rewarded. I mean, look at my like 50,000 Chick-fil-A points with my kids. I get yep. it. I never yep. redeem them, but they're <laughs> there. And the understanding that I feel now I have a part, a pseudo ownership to that brand and they know me becomes important. And that is the other part of our loyalty system that we really went through, which is, we'll, I know we'll talk about CDP in a second. We have to understand our consumer. We yeah. never did. We had so much data. We took it. We, we made assumptions, and those assumptions are are terrible. If we can understand, and we're collecting so many data points now, that helps drive product innovation. That really helps drive, you know, a user adoption. We can understand who likes what, when, where, and why. If now you're trying to get into machine learning, like if it's cold outside, I'm going to give you a hot chocolate. Like there's all these different data metrics that I think our industry has never really dwelled into. We all get the things in our email from other retail boxes and other industries. They're contextual. They know who you are because you're giving them an extra Absolutely. amount of data. And that's where I think the loyalty play goes to. It goes outside of just giving stars, which we do. But now you're actually toning the experience of who they are. Um, I, I've said this on several different panels in the past. The old days of Vegas. I'm not dating myself by saying this, by the way. We'd walk in and a bartender would say, hey, Phil, would you like your bullet on the rocks with a splash of water? Yep. Those days are long gone. But yeah. nowadays, you can leverage technology to walk in, you hit a geofence, right? It recognizes your, your, your face or your voice in some reason. We don't serve liquor, I'm just saying. It's a good yeah. idea for a bar. Like, <laughs> there you go. You, you, love, you love table four. Like Before you know it, they know your entire history. And you, you now have this different connection. And that's where I think the loyalty part and the CDP part for our branding particularly is that big unlock. And I've said it since the day one. 
of our strategy has been mobile order and pay and integration delivery is not not is not the winning combination. That that's not innovative necessarily because no. everybody's doing that. That's table stakes. Yeah, loyalty to us is the unlock that that blows our brand stores wide open. Because if you don't have that, and your consumers, you have no way to listen to consumers and feedback and such. You're just going to become you're going to get lost in the rut. Yeah. Well, and you've thrown out CDP that that phrase, and I think CDP means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But yeah. I'd love to have you riff a little bit about, about kind of what your definition of CDP is, and then let's talk about let's talk a little bit more in depth about how CDP is going to get you closer to those retail brands that really know who Phil is, and they're not going to send Phil an advertisement for you know something that's not relevant to him. But all too often, restaurant brands just they they you know. Uh, spray and pray they're they're they're, they're advertising approach. and marketing out there because they have no idea who their consumer is and have no idea what they might want um and then i'll give you an anecdote from just this week actually i was talking to a cmo and a ceo about my own experience with a brand and it was very different and we were kind of talking about cdp and where it's at and where it's going so why don't you define what cdp is and then let's talk about kind of how you guys are considering using it uh in conjunction with you know the transaction data and you know all of the stuff that you you've kind of gone through already on the call yeah, so the customer data platform, CDP, really is a nucleus of the guest experience side of it from the collecting of data points. So a lot of people will go install a loyalty program, but they don't have the, they don't have the data points on the back end to tie it all together. Mm-hmm. And that's what the CDP does. The, CDT, the CDP, and we use MParticle, okay. which is a great CDP, allows us to tie in not just the data that comes in off our own apps and websites, but also social data and, yep. and guest support data. And it has all these different plugins and modules that you can go out and capture data. And what happens is we get these points of reference about who you are and how you interact with us. And we can use that from a marketing standpoint to make analytical decisions. We can do modeling. We can do um, if-then statements, A versus B regression you know, proof concepts. We can run promotions now and see how they work. We can target market. So really the CDP is kind of like the brain. Right, and it's a central nervous system for the entire loyalty slash guest experience that we go off of. Because well, it's taking of, that digital. It's digitizing that bartender in yeah. Vegas who knew Phil and who Phil was, that's, that's and it. giving you the ability to do that digitally. And again, your guests and your your consumers oftentimes are giving you that data, or they're putting that data out on the web for you to mine. And yeah. so few brands are doing it. I mean, I think it's amazing that you guys are at that place that you've used that because, I mean, not that you're not and haven't always been one of those innovative people. It's just amazing to me how how little people truly understand how much data is out there to be able to capture and drive a relationship with your guest at the end of the day because that's what I'm hearing you say. That's that's it. So, you know, Jason Seeley and, 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 and April Shinya who run the loyalty side and the digital side for marketing, that's their whole, that's, that's their whole goal is to understand who Jeremy Julian is, Mm -hmm. what he likes, where he goes, you know, but more importantly, if you don't come back, I want to know why. Yep. Did did we screw up? Yeah. Right. Or is there a new thing you like? It's understand it because consumers will give you this data, right? And you can tie it into, you know, external data as well and credit card data and all this other fun jazz that's out there. But the end of the day, it's all about serving guests. You know, Danny Meyer and his light and hospitality Technology should be a tool, an enabler, not an inhibitor. And I think that this is just the, 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 you know, the start. You look at full-service restaurants, all that open table data, 
right? They could be pulled in. Like you talked about the bartender. It's there to capture. I think what the issue is that a lot of people and a lot of restaurateurs put CDP at the end of the process, not in the beginning of the process. And that's, and that's an issue because you have this opportunity to capture this data, but you're not mining the data. You're only using, you're making decisions on very small subsets of information rather than large data sets. Well, and for years, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, you know, what they chose to put on the menu or not on the menu oftentimes had no data backing it up. It was, what did Chef come up with? And why does he want to, and then they'd go, how did it sell this week? And, and, you know, and you could, I mean, when you were at Yard House, when it was full service, you could directly tell whether that server was out selling that app or not because they had, you know, 12 incidents of it and the shift and this person had two. So, you know, it it was very dependent upon human behavior, not necessarily on whether the data worked or didn't work for that menu item or for that guest. Back to, back to that conversation I had with the CEO and this, and I don't drink. I haven't drank in 12 years. Many of our, many of my audience knows that I had a brand that launched a beer club. And all I got for the next six weeks was the beer club stuff. And I'm like, yeah. you have never seen an incident of a beer on my check because my wife does drink, but she doesn't drink beer. I don't drink beer. I haven't drank beer in 12 years. And so you turned me off from your email messaging yep. and your messaging to my app because you didn't look at the data that I've already given you. Um, I had the opposite conversation with, with a, a similar CMO of every single time I go out with my kids and the guest party size, because I've got four kids. I know you've got a number of kids as well. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, I get an appetizer. Nine times out of 10, I get an appetizer when I go out with my kids. Because you know what? It's going to come quick. I'm going to be able to get them moving. And then we move on to the entrees because they may take a little bit longer. Nine times out of 10, I do. Why does the server not walk up and say, hey, you didn't order an appetizer today, Jeremy? Because they knew who I was. I checked in on loyalty or I geofenced her or whatever else. And so now they lost a $10 or $12 appetizer that they could have had on my check when they saw the party party size was six. But if you and I were having lunch at that brand and the party size was two, the CDP could have said, hey, this is probably a business lunch or a business dinner. Maybe we don't offer an appetizer, you know, and it, and it doesn't turn into creepy. And so I, I'm going to let you riff on that just for a little bit because I, I, think it, I think way too often people are not thinking that way. Facebook, Amazon, Google, they're all doing it. And so few restaurants are even doing relevant offers to their guests, ultimately turning them away from their marketing messaging. Yeah, agreed. You know, I think you look in the QSR industry, which, you know, which I live in, and the QSR consumer is not obviously sitting down and taking their kids out for a nice night. I mean, although they do, they do take them out of restaurants, so get me wrong. But it would be nice, and this is something we're working on, where if you were to order through the drive-thru in advance, the, 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 the employees know who you are. And it could be uh-huh. a simple flag on the point of sale system. You know, Jeremy has three stars because it's a three-star, all-star in our system, whatever you want to call it. Acknowledge you by your name, right? Or vice versa. Throw in an extra cookie because you've got a couple extra kids. I'm not saying we want to do that every time, but I'm just saying there's those kind of habits that you can actually get accustomed to that creates that connection between you and the guest. Because as a guest has so many more options now than ever, especially yep. if you want to be lazy and just be at home and have food delivered to them, right? You we're all fighting for that consumer. Yep. And the the ones that can really have the emotional connection with their consumer will win. Yeah. Well, mean, and and I, I one of my suggestions. I mean, you and I talked about a pre-show. I'm a bacon western cheeseburger when I go to Carl's. Yeah. That's my that's my item. That's your go-to. That's my go-to. And and I think most people when they say when I say hey I want to go to Cheesecake Factory I think okay do I want one of these three menu items if I want to go to BJ's when I go to Yard House I think of three or four menu items but if I'm now at a Carl's Jr. or at a Hardee's and they know it's me 
and you guys have got a new menu item that that looks and smells and feels like a Western bacon cheeseburger, but might have an extra ten points of margin on it um, or something else. How do we drive? You know, how do we drive that behavior to say, hey, you should try this that might upsell me an extra fifty cents or an extra dollar onto my guest check without seeming creepy that I'm checking in on you. It, it's it's the bacon analogy. It's funny. We had this debate yesterday. It was funny you say this because I can tell you how many people like bacon based on what they order. If I pushed a promotion, everyone? is that is that the right answer? Is everyone? No, I'm kidding. Every, everyone likes bacon. <laughs> if you don't, never mind. Um, yeah. But like, if I could target, we were talking about this exact thing. If I could target those consumers that like Western bacon cheeseburgers or you know a monster burger that has bacon on it. And I could upsell you to double the bacon for 25 cents or 50 cents. Yep. Would you do it all day long? Nine without, times out of 10, I would. Yep. But, out, but without that knowledge of that consumer and their buying habits, it'd be great. Now, it'd be stupid if I were to offer you that burger, you know, in a protein style lettuce wrap. You're like, dude, you don't know me at all. What are you talking about? Like, I want a big, healthy, meaty burger. Um, yeah, but don't, give me the, the don't give me the, uh, the, you know, the impossible burger when I'm asking yeah. for a Western bacon cheeseburger, you know, 100 times out of 100, right? Correct. And, and that's going to be the evolution. So you evolve not just the interaction at the digital menu board or through ads and campaigns. You also then evolve the app itself to change based on the person. So, and we're not there yet. This is kind of like future tense. So you log in and on your history, you get a different home screen that only has the things you like based on your persona, right? It's no different than like when you go to your Amazon carts and so forth. It shows the top things you like to buy. Yep. It's not advanced science. We just don't do it well in the industry. But those that can capture that and those that can really relate will win. And it doesn't yeah. matter if you're doing burgers or salads or Chinese food, right? Or whatever it might be. We all have our favorites. We all have our go-tos. Absolutely. And I think that we all want to be catered to that way than just being another number in a system. Yeah. So I'm going to ask just because I'm quite frankly, I'm intrigued. How do you solve that problem? Amazon has figured out a way to have a family. So my wife has an Amazon login and her Amazon filter looks very different than my Amazon filter. And my kids all can request stuff from, from me and we can approve it. And then it gets into the Amazon cart. Talk to me about what that looks like. Cause I think all too often I find loyalty programs don't take that into account. So my birthday's coming up in a month. My birthday, I've started to get, you know, I literally today, because my birthday is yeah. a month from today, I've started getting all of those loyalty items. My wife half the time logs into the app with my login. Or vice versa. And she, you know, her birthday's in December. She'll get all of the birthday stuff. And again, not looking to just give away free food. But how does the restaurant industry solve that problem that my wife and I both like Carl's Jr., but she likes the, you know, the the, the grilled chicken sandwich, you know, with the bacon and, and the wheat bun. And I like the Western bacon cheeseburger. She likes the onion rings. I like the French fries. You know, how do we solve that? Because I, and, but how do they know that they're the same person without it being the same credit card and the same household? So, you know, they're, they're trying to do it. There's certain restaurant chains that are doing like this group ordering where you can actually name the order. I think Chipotle is doing it really well right now where I can name my bowl for my name and your bowl for your name. And it's tied back under the one main account. Okay. That's how they're doing it. They're kind of a tricky way to do it. But you're onto something with regards to tying like family. Like I look at, I look at airline miles is a great way to say it. Yeah. Like I fly in United, right? And I'm in global services and I give up my wife under it and my kids under that as well. And it's all tied back under one. They, we all have individual preferences, but it's tied back under one overall account. I think we have to get there. But the problem, though, is that we have so many different, I think, data sets, and we have some different regulations with regards to app ordering and such that other folks don't do. Mm -hmm. 
it's not a perfect science at this point. Okay. I think you okay. can. So it's coming I, though. It's coming. Like I think you could do it like how Apple did it with like family sharing. Yep. I, I invite you to join my account as a as the I'm the owner and by uh, you my wife and you're now tying into that persona. You can have your own account, but it rolls up. That roll up feature, I think, is where we get to outside yep. of the group ordering. Because then I can see everybody's history. I mean, well, and and quite frankly, I might not be feeling like that that food, but as you know, because you're married, like if your wife feels like it, that's where you're going. Or that's where you're going. Like it, exactly. That's where you're going. And that that all too often, you know, and so uh, I try not to let her sign up because she gets, you know, swayed by the marketing messages yeah. from time to time. I'm like, I don't want that, you know, but but ultimately she wins or the kids win when they start to get these marketing messages from these brands. And I think I think it can change the consumer behavior because ultimately I'm the one that's making the money, but she and the kids are the ones that are making the decision. And so sure. if we don't get them involved in those conversations, they don't end up, uh, they don't end up in influencing the, uh, the behavior, I guess. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I'm going to say this out loud just because I do. Like every Thursday night for us is Chick-fil-A night. Yep. Right. If Chick-fil-A could ever design a system that said, hey, Phil, history, historically, you order the same thing on Thursday. Here's your fourth day reminder. Quick order now. Go. That's mm-hmm. where it gets where we got to get to. Yep. Because no, right now it's me going in, pulling up my favorite cart, remembering to do it. And if I don't do it on time, I'm a dead man when I get home and I'm the food. I forgot to go back out. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. It's that kind of persona stuff that we need to get to and activate upon it um, without being too overboding to the consumer that thinks we're too big brother. Yeah. Well, because that's always everybody's, I mean, especially now that I've moved to Texas, like, you know, the, the philosophy about customer data in California is a little bit different than it is in, in Texas, uh, ironically. It's different in California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> what do we not talk about? I mean, we went all over the map and, and you've shared some, some amazing wisdom with uh, our audience. So I love, uh, I mean, I could sit here and talk forever, but I know we're, we're getting close to time. What did we not talk about that you think is important for our listeners to consider if they haven't already considered a CDP and a... And you know, launching their own app potentially, and getting third-party delivery, and making sure your tech stack is strong. I mean, you've you've talked about so much, and it's really like a an MBA class on how to run a tech yeah. stack for a restaurant brand. So, what else are we missing that uh, that you, that you would want our listeners to think about uh, after they're finished re- listening to this call? You know, I don't know if I said this or not, or we kind of paraphrased it. There's not one size fits all, right? Find your issue you're trying to solve, and find the technology that helps solve it. You don't have to go buy out the, the most expensive, the biggest technology to, to, you don't have to get the biggest and baddest in order what I'm saying in order to, to make the biggest impact, right? Find the Delta. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there isn't a Delta to be found, right? Sometimes yeah. you're running just fine, but it should be technology. And I, I always use this phrase, and I'll probably say it too many times, should be enabled and not, a, and not a, uh, an inhibitor. With, with when it comes to loyalty programs and when it comes to CDPs and apps and so forth, I think it just goes back to basics, man. It really yep. does. Yep. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. Are you trying to solve the off-parting day part? Are you trying to just know your guests better to make better product decisions? Right? Or are you really trying to just keep up with the Joneses? Yeah, and, trying to build a relationship with them. Yeah. You know? And I think that's probably the biggest thing is sit down and don't try to copy some of the big guys right? That have, that have done it, learn what they've done, but it's just adopted to who you are and what your brain wants to do. Um, I love it. Cause if, if you don't, you're going to get trying to, you're going to get caught up in this, in this rut of too much technology and it's going to deviate to what you're trying to do, which is take care of the guest. Yeah. One other thing I would say that um, has been a consistent theme across your whole career, but you know, specifically in your last 18 months at CKE is really 
the idea of, of leveraging partners mm-hmm. to helping them understand where you're going. You know, you've defined where you're going. And I'm certain you didn't go to one vendor and say, this is where we're going. Make it work for me. You, you went out and talked to people and said, this is where we're going. And once they understood the roadmap, now it was really easy and really clear to say, this is where we're going. Can you help me get there if you haven't already gotten there yet? And they're able to partner with you so that you can partner with them to get where you're going in the right way. And that, that, that takes time and effort to make sure that you, you understand where you want to go and then going out to the market and figuring out who those people that are, are that can help you get there. Yeah, and you know what? And there's some partners that basically said, we can't do it. And I respect those partners. Our plan was too aggressive and they were honest. And there are partners that probably could have done it. We just didn't choose that path. Yep. Um, you know, I think transparency is key. I know that people want to keep their, their, their goals and objectives super tight, but you can't build this without the right strategic partnership with everybody involved. And so, at, least, at least get under the hood and explain what you want to do collectively. Because if, if you don't, how are you ever going to build anything, right? Like yeah. if I want to have this, this shiny object at the end, I need the roadmap to help me build the shiny object. If I don't tell you what the object is, yeah, you gonna, it's impossible. Gonna it's impossible to get there. Absolutely. Yeah. And well, and I see all too many people that go, Oh, my neighbor next door has this. I have to have this. And it's like, well, yeah. what are you doing it for? I love that. Um, I tell, tell people that all the time. It's like, Hey, what, who should I choose for a point of sale? It's like the answer uh-huh. is, you, the answer is you, you don't know because you don't even know what your business is. Explain yeah. to me what your business is and what they're trying to do, and then I'll help you choose. Yeah, or, what are trying to accomplish? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, the, 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 the people that, that, that are choosing for 3,000 stores are very different than the guy that I have a call this afternoon with somebody that, that was referred from a friend from college who's opening a, a bar and axe throwing place. And they're like, hey, I need some help picking a point of sale. And I'm like, you know what? Number one, I'm not the right vendor for you because you're not the right customer for me. No. And neither is neither is Par Brink because you know what? They're not, that's not who they are. You know, it's a bar and an axe throwing place. I promise you it's not, you know, the, the same thing that fits in there is not going to fit in a Carl's Jr. Not, not at all, right? They're yeah. unique, right? And that's why there's so many different systems out there. It's like putting a pizza point of sale system into, into a, a burger chain. It just doesn't work. They're designed completely different. They have different, you know, modalities than anything else does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know we're, we're out of time. I appreciate all of the wisdom, Phil. It's been fun catching back up. I know we just saw each other a couple of months ago in, uh, in Vegas, or maybe not even a month ago, maybe yeah. in Vegas, uh, Vegas while we, were, while we were out doing a trade show, first, first live trade show that I'd been to in a while. And uh, it was good to reconnect. So it was awesome to, uh, to have you on, uh, on the podcast. Um, to our audience, guys, we know that you guys have thousands, if not tens of thousands of choices of who you guys can listen to. So we appreciate you guys giving us uh, 45 minutes of your time every time we post one of these. Phil, thank you for your time. No, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk shop with you and always good to, to hang out on, on a podcast with you, man. Look forward to seeing you in person at the next show. Awesome. Awesome. Well, and to our audience, guys, make it a fantastic day. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Technology Guys podcast. Visit restauranttechnologyguys.com for tips, industry insights, and more to help you run your restaurant better.